Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Though movies are typically divided into three acts, it's nevertheless common for them to unfold as stories of two halves, with the latter 50% of the movie taking a more action-orientated turn or even switching perspective to a new character. Whilst we've all seen a compelling film absolutely fumble it at the back end, it's way less frequent than an initially rough film settles into genuine greatness later on. But in the following 10 films, it clearly does happen, hence the name of this list. These movies all lost audiences earlier with frustrating storytelling, poor direction and lack of expected action. And yet, yet they managed to win back a sizable chunk of viewers. Well, the ones that hadn't left because the first half of the film was a big old poop emoji. Anyway, let's go, shall we? I am Marcus Bronzy. This is What Culture, and here are 10 movies with with great second halves, but awful first halves. Number 10, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Despite being one of the best of the last three Terminator movies, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines is nevertheless a wildly uneven movie, an initially underwhelming sequel which eventually morphs into an entertaining chase thriller. The big problem with the first half of T3 though, is that it forces the viewer to accept a lot of things. For starters, there's a new John Connor being played by Nick Stahl and a new villainous Terminator the TX played by Christana Logan who really can't hold a handle to the series prior villains but what the first half of the movie gets truly wrong is its sheer avalanche of goofy humor unconvincing action and disappointing storytelling it plies us with but the second half becomes a more urgent traditionally Terminator-esque pursuit flick complete with some surprisingly hardcore violence a couple of well-placed f-bombs a hilarious cameo from Dr. Syl Berman played by Earl Bowen, and general humour that actually lands. Let's not forget the ballsy ending though, in which billions of people are nuked out of existence by Skynet, and all John and Kate can do is hold up in the fallout shelter while everything goes to pot. Dark, but good. Number 9. Death Proof Death Proof is near universally, most probably, definitely, Quentin Tarantino's worst movie, but there is a reason why it's on this list. And that reason is not the first half, because basically it's a slow... <sighs> 
slow burn in which we're introduced to a group of women who at almost exactly the movie's midway point get murdered by the villainous stuntman played by Kurt Russell. Now in this, much of Tarantino's dialogue is typically wordier than, well, a what culture list and it lacks the witty verve you'd expect despite the efforts of a solid cast. But after Mike brutally has his way with our initial leading ladies, we shift forward 14 months later for a far pacier follow-up in which the second group of women face off against Mike. Not only are the visual gimmicks mostly gone, but the central group is decidedly more likable and it all comes to an end with a delirious 15-minute car chase expertly helmed by Tarantino. Well, who else? It's a bit of a slog getting into the good stuff, but ultimately worth the wait. Number 8 Transformers Dark of the Moon For the first half of its 154 minute runtime, Michael Bay's third Transformers feels like Michael Bay is just doing whatever Michael Bay wants to do because nobody ever tells him no. There are baffling supporting turns from the overqualified likes of John Malkovich, Francis McDormand and Alan Tudyk, which don't really pull it up. But after suffering through almost 90 minutes of atrocious drama and mediocre action, Bay finally lets loose with surely the most impressive action sequence in his entire filmography, the battle for Chicago. It's no doubt that this set piece was what Bay had in mind and had been building towards his entire career. And almost a decade later, he still hasn't topped it. Number 7. Smoking Aces Joe Carnahan's Smoking Aces is one of the many post-Tarantino movies that desperately wanted to evoke the iconic director's vibe. It combines a witty word salad with brutal violence. Now, the first half is filled to the brim with a surprising amount of plot dialogue for a movie that's marketed on the strength of its frantic action sequences. Various parties descended upon the mafia informant Buddy Aces Israel, played by Jeremy Piven, either to rescue him or collect the $1 million bounty placed on his life. At this point, Carnahan lets loose with the advertised action in all of its frenetically gory glory. Better still, it all culminates in a loony final plot twist, that the FBI is only keeping Aces alive so that they can transplant his heart to another informant, and a terrific final scene in which the distraught FBI agent, played by Ryan Reynolds, literally pulls the plug on the entire operation. Though undeniably messy throughout, Smoking Aces pulls out the big cards at the end. Yes, that was a pun. Nothing you can do about it. Number 6. The Hobbit An Unexpected Journey Slow down in the comments, alright? Peter Jackson's Hobbit trilogy is perhaps cinema's all-time testament to filmmaker indulgence and also tireless studio greed because really it's a three-film project which needed to be two films at the absolute most. Eyebrows were raised immediately when the first entry, The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, clocked in at a beefy 169 minutes, but it took almost 45 minutes before we even got out of the Shire and got any blooming story. And even then, Jackson devotes masses of time to moments which took up merely pages in the source material and basically indulges every single one of his cinematic fancies. Things do pick up considerably midway, though, when Bilbo, played by Martin Freeman, and his mates arrive at Rivendell segging into the moves easy highlight the riddle game between Bilbo and Gollum. There was definitely a pacey two-hour movie possible here achieved simply by slicing the first half in two. Number five, The Great Gatsby. 
The primary bugbear of Baz Luhrmann's 2013 adaption of The Great Gatsby comes to light almost immediately. Luhrmann's script pointlessly invents a new framing device in which Nick Carraway, played by Tobey Maguire, effectively writes The Great Gatsby as therapy for his mental health issues. In turn, Luhrmann focuses far too much of the 142-minute runtime on Carraway, especially during its exhaustingly animated first half, with DiCaprio's character taking ages to show himself. Look, I get it. Build up is necessary, but this this was unreasonable. The second half gives DiCaprio the floor to nail some killer dramatic scenes, especially in the Plaza Hotel confrontation with Tom Buchanan, played brilliantly by Joel Edgerton. And of course, his climatic death scene. The second half of The Great Gatsby is the faithful adaptation of Fitzgerald's novel that the first half absolutely was not. Number 4. The Matrix Reloaded The Matrix Reloaded, it struggled, and I mostly think that was due to the simple fact that it failed to live up to the consistent brilliance of its predecessor, The Matrix. In the first half, there's a surprising amount of chinwagging about the prophecy and the politics of Zion, not to ignore the introduction of around a dozen new characters, a preposterous Zion rave sequence complete with a perfunctory sex scene between Neo, played by Keanu Reeves, and Trinity, Carrie-Anne Moss. The film picks up almost immediately at the halfway point though, with the introduction of the Merovingian, played by Lambert Wilson, the incredible Chateau fight, the all-timer freeway chase, and of course, the debut of the fan-favorite character, the Keymaker. Sure, Neo's climactic meeting with the Architect is a tidal wave of guff any way you slice it, but dramatically, thematically, and slow-motion shot after slow-motion shot at reloaded second half delivers. Number 3. Pearl Harbor Pearl Harbor was without question Michael Bay's attempt to ape the epic dramatic blockbuster sweep of James Cameron's Avatar, but without his sure handle on the tone and pacing, the overblown war epic got a little bit messy. Clocking in at 183 minutes, Pearl Harbor's first half is largely dominated by an exhaustingly sappy one-two punch of cornball backstory and a love triangle between characters played by Ben Affleck, Kate Beckinsale and Josh Hartnett. Let's be honest, nobody remembers what their characters' names are in the film. Jam-packed with toe-curlingly embarrassing comedy and over-earnest drama, the first 90 minutes is a slog. Then, the attack on Pearl Harbor finally kicks off. What follows, if nothing else, is technically sublime. It's a showcase for Bay's most excessive filmmaking chops, a ludicrously entertaining central set piece which remains a thrilling experience when viewed today. Was it 100% historically correct? No. Did it get to it in the first half? No. But did Michael Bay deliver unrestrained spectacle in the second half that the audience were itching to see? Yes. Number 2. Star Wars Episode 2 Attack of the Clones There's a rumour that would be spreading around the what culture offices if we weren't working from home. It's actually spreading around our Zoom chats and that rumour is that Attack of the Clones is still, to this day, fighting with Episode 1 to be the worst of the nine mainline movies. It isn't all bad though after the first half. The first hour plus is an exhausting collage of draining political discussions and Anakin, played by Hayden Christensen, dropping the sweetest of chat lines on Natalie Portman's Padme. I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating and it gets everywhere. I mean, bro, you're a Jedi, but not when it comes to chart lines. With Anakin's trip to Tatooine comes the good stuff, though. Anakin's subsequent slaughter of the Tusken Raiders. Don't know why I called that good stuff. Let's move on. The introduction of Doku, played by Christopher Lee, and the third... Sorry, the third... The third half. We'll go with that one. That basically is wall-to-wall action and sets the stage nicely for Revenge of the Sith. 
Number one, Godzilla. For starters, killing your best actor, aka Brian Cranston, in the first act, not cool. After which, the perspective shifts in this film to the son of Cranston's character, Ford Brody. Aaron Taylor Johnson plays him, and well, let's be honest, he hasn't got the most exciting role out there, especially in a monster film. But that's not the biggest issue with the first hour. The biggest issue is how frequently Edwards willfully holds the audience at arm's length from the Godzilla. We glimpse the monster only in passing a few times, leading us to think things like, listen, mate, if I paid for a kaiju film, I want to see kaiju. I want to see the Godzilla. Give me my money back. But before there were waves of people asking for refunds, the second hour kicked in and is nevertheless full of large scale action sequences as the massive unidentified terrestrial organisms descend upon San Francisco, with the final half hour basically being one lengthy, elegantly shot spectacle of carnage. Okay, mate, you can keep my money. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.